last two days, we've had N.D. Perkins on the podcast to talk about his new book, Dangerous Affirmations. And I think we had a good discussion. And one of the things, if you listened, I asked him at the end was, what do you think about Sam Albury? Because Sam Albury is probably the top name I hear from other Christians uh, who want to navigate this issue of homosexuality as a resource that's being recommended to them. So he's going to speak at our church or my pastor recommended him. I know he actually came when I was living in Lynchburg. He came to Lynchburg um, during that time. I think I might have been on a small trip the day he came, but it was a, a church in town, which, of course, a church that presented itself as conservative and everything. And so people... Uh, wouldn't have thought anything different. They would have thought, you know, he's giving a really orthodox view of this. This is the Christian understanding. He's going to help us navigate this. I remember even uh, when I was in school, there was a classmate who really wanted to get into apologetics. And if, in case you don't listen regularly, I just had an episode recently where I talked about this, and I said, look, the apologetics community, if you want to call it that, it almost functions like its own denomination, but they've really fumbled with this whole social justice issue, including homosexuality. Like, they've really fumbled. They they really want to keep talking about atheism and other things, but this is one of the areas where it's just obvious to me that they become a... When they're, you know, a strong lion when it comes to atheism, they become a little bitty uh, farm cat when it comes to issues like homosexuality, where they want to have this, like, well... We'll proclaim the truth, technically, but we also want to carve out some kind of an exception or some kind of a category where someone can technically be gay or same-sex attracted or whatever term you want to put there, but they're, they have some kind of a, there's a difference in their temptations, affections, desires, in that it's okay to some extent. They want to carve out something there. And, and that's what I've seen when it's when the topic is even addressed, because oftentimes it's just avoided. But you can't avoid it anymore. And so Sam Albury, I think, is one of these guys that he at least talks about it, right? That's, I mean, his whole ministry seems to be crafted around this now, and that might not even be his doing. That might just be because of the demand. But the demand seems to be, in elite Christian circles especially, find people who identify as gay or same-sex attracted or homosexual, find someone who might have lived that lifestyle. Um, actually, no, they don't really do that as much, do they? Because <laughs> I, I know several people who have lived that lifestyle who they don't really want much to do with because those people are saying, you can be delivered from this and that's what you should strive for. And they don't do that. They're, they're not going to go knocking on the door of Darren Mel or Bobby Lopez or Juan Riesco or uh, maybe probably even someone like a Stephen Bennett. They're, I just don't see that happening really. But they, what they want is someone who identifies to, they want like a Rebecca McLaughlin, right? They want a Sam Albury. Um, they want some of the people who have spoken at Revoice. People who have this quote-unquote experience who can then come in and tell the church how to address this. And I would like to point out something to you before we get into this. This is no different than what they do on the issue of critical race theory, Right. Uh, now, they, in their minds, they think of it as racism, but it's not, ra- it's not racism they're addressing. It's, they're, it's, the issue is not racism. It's social justice, okay? And they bring someone in. They want a black person. And by the way, conservatives are guilty of doing this, too, to some extent. 
maybe not as extensive, but to some extent, where the person who's the most qualified is the black person to talk about critical race theory or to talk about racism. There's this sometimes unacknowledged assumption. Or with think about it this way, with the Caring Well stuff, the Me Too stuff and the SBC. Let's bring in all these people who claim to have uh, abuse, abuse victim stories. They're the ones that are going to educate us on this topic. What's the common thread here? Well, it's, it's the standpoint theory stuff. It's that you need people with an experience to then lecture or instruct those without the experience because the experience is the determinative thing. Now, I'm not saying that experience isn't helpful or that experience should be disregarded or stories aren't powerful. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not saying those things that there's not a use there or that God doesn't allow people to have certain experiences so that he can use them later in certain ways. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the assumption that that by nature of having an experience gives you authority because others have barriers to their understanding because they lack an experience. That's the the, the part of this that's wrong. Um, and so the reason I know that it's not uh, about just having an experience, but it's about having a certain kind of experience is because of the dearth of people who are qualified, by the way, to speak about the subject of homosexuality, but the dearth of them that are selected to be on the conference circuit who have come out of it and don't identify it uh, as it anymore. So they say, I'm not a homosexual. I have a family. You too can be like me. You can come out of this. You can serve the Lord. You, you can beat this desire with the help of Jesus. You can, however you want to phrase that, uh, or, or think of that mechanism of coming from homosexuality to heterosexuality, or perhaps more biblically, uh, coming from a state of sin and disordered desires to a state of ordered desires according to God's creation design. That whole process, people who have gone through it, they are not as respected or platformed as those who still claim to have this fixed identity. And that's what kind of gives it away to me, that they're looking for a certain kind of, of person. Uh, they, they want, there's a certain kind of, um, of, of a pedigree. And, and we could talk about it and flesh it out more, um, but I, I see standpoint theory written all over this, and there seems to be a bit of a political maneuver. It doesn't mean that everyone involved in this is aware of that, but big picture here, when you look at all the things that are happening, compare it to the things that aren't happening that should be, then you start to understand. You start to realize that this is moving the needle in a certain direction. So Sam Albury is, in my mind, he's, he's at the top of the, the list as far as Christian, uh, and, and I think he even is called by many an apologist, Christian apologists who are tackling this issue. He's the go-to guy. He's the expert. He's the one you should talk to. And when I talked to MD Perkins about this and asked him, MD basically said, well, Sam's hard. Sam's a hard case because he says some good things and then he says some things that are confusing. He says some bad things. And it's like, you don't really know exactly where Sam lines up. It's, it's hard for, for someone like MD. And I understand that with, with someone like a Sam Albury. We've talked about him actually before in the podcast. We've examined uh, some panels and uh, we actually recently did a whole thing on a, a panel that he was on. But I thought, let's, let, uh, let's look at something else. Let's look at something newer. And, um, and this, the reason I, I want to do this is it, be, it came across my uh, 
my email just yesterday. So literally, as I'm having this discussion with MD, someone without knowing that I had had this discussion sends me an email and says, look at this. Uh, I'm subscribed to Paul David Tripp's podcast or, or ministry. And he said, Paul David Tripp sends me an email and advertises, you got to watch this, this uh, thing with Sam Albury. And, and some of the questions they're supposed to ask, in fact, I'll, I'll pull it up as, so I can get the phrasing right. But they were supposed to ask questions like, you know, is God anti-gay, which is the question of uh, Sam Albury's first book um, on the topic. And uh, here, I'm pulling it up now. I'll, I'll just read for you uh, what it says. This is from Paul David Tripp's ministry. Uh, and that's the podcast we're going to be looking at. So this rec- was recorded, I think, back in February, but it's being advertised now. And uh, and it's got Tim Keller's endorsement of Sam Albury. It's got, and it is what Paul Tripp says. We are in a moment when society is asking questions like never before. Who are we? What do our bodies mean? What does sex mean? What is gender anyway? The discussion should not make us afraid because God has answered these questions for us in his word. I am thankful for Sam Albury, and I'm sure when you finish this episode, you will be too. And the whole way the episode starts, or the uh, email starts off, it says, is God anti-gay? Does being single mean you cannot experience intimacy? This is interesting word choice. How do Christians respond to a culture that's trying to redefine gender? And these are questions Sam Albury's wrestled with. He's, he's an, a pastor, he's an apologist, and most recently a guest. So we're going to go through this podcast. I mean, th- these are the questions that are supposed to be answered and in a biblical way. And let's let's look at the way that Sam Albury actually answers these questions. And I think this will help you understand whether or not Sam Albury is actually helpful um, for Christians uh, today to navigate this issue. I think there's some appeal he has as far as the way he communicates. It's very, it sounds intellectual, probably because he has a British accent, and it also sounds very gentle. And there does need to be, um, a, there does need to be some grace for those who are repentant, uh, who want to, who, who are desiring to follow Jesus and want to get out of this snare, just like we would with any sin. But um, there has to also be a point of very direct biblical ethics applied, the law coming to bear. And that's what I see lacking the most in this whole Christian apologetics world when they address this topic. And I think it, it somewhat lacks in Sam Albury as well, the way he um, navigates this. So you'll, you'll, you'll see whether or not my conclusions about Sam Albury are correct. Uh, by going over some of the clips, I think. And I'm going to just let you know about some of the pitfalls I see here. Um, but I want to be positive as well and just commend to you at least an, uh, some of the things that I think that make Sam Albury attractive to individuals. And, and that is one of them, that his gentleness. And so we, we need to have, I think, gentleness and reverence, right? That's what the Bible calls us. Um, but righteous indignation is sometimes also uh, part of what, what we need to do as Christians. We need to encourage the weak, right? We need to um, uh, correct uh, the, the faint-hearted or admonish the unruly, I guess. Sorry, correct the faint-hearted. I got that all wrong. Um, admonish the unruly, help the weak, and um, encourage the faint-hearted. And we need to do some triage sometimes in counseling situations, but Admonishment is certainly part of this. So we're going to start somewhere in the middle here. Sam Albury goes through his testimony and talks about when he came to the realization in his mind that he was uh, homosexual. And um, I want to skip ahead to 25 minutes in. And I think his, his testimony, I think that's one of the compelling things is that he has this story 
of of struggle and of feeling kind of unwanted uh, perhaps in the church and like he didn't fit and and so here he is though and and this is what um he, here's kind of the crux that I think of one of the issues involved in this whole thing is whether or not God makes one a homosexual or a heterosexual. And Sam Elbury doesn't come out and answer it. In, he doesn't articulate it exceptionally clear in a clear fashion. But I think what he does give you is something that when if you think about it, it will drive you towards a conclusion, and I don't think it's a very good conclusion. So here's Sam Albury. Remember our deal or our goal? My goal? Less, less probable that <laughs> some <laughs> yeah. of these things will happen by the time I'm thirty. Um, well, are you ta- are you talking about this at the time with your youth group leader or no anybody one. else? It's just internally yeah, you're I, kind of going I through not this. Told us all. Okay. Still, how long? So he's saying right here. I'm, I haven't told anyone that he's uh, saying I, that that I'm homosexual. Actually, I think I should skip it. Uh, before this just a little bit you know blow at the time partly because a jesus is good so if this is if this is what the goodness looks like that's okay i can trust him with that also i was also thinking well now that i'm a christian these feelings will just evaporate anyway and i'll (laughs) meet a girl and i'm okay so he hasn't told anyone that he is homosexual uh and or has these desires, I should say, right? That's, I think, how he's just saying, he's identifying now as he's same-sex attracted. So he has these desires, and he doesn't say it, but he's thinking, I'm a Christian, so these things are just going to dissipate. It'll go away. And and this is what happens. They don't go away. That's basically it. I remember turning 20 thinking, okay, by the time I turn 30, I will be married with kids. That's my goal. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I, I just assumed, you know, the, these other desires will just disappear as I follow Jesus and everything else will kind of be made right. And then they weren't. No, uh, and that, that was the one time I, I felt some frustration with the Lord. Yeah. It was probably in my mid-twenties where I was thinking, this is, this is getting tight, yeah. timing-wise. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're getting closer to 30, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. It's becoming sort of... Remember our deal or our goal, my goal? Less, less probable that <laughs> some <laughs> yeah. of these things will happen by the time I'm 30. Um, well, are, you ta- are you talking about this? At- okay, so this is, I think, one of the key elements here. And this is part of his experience. I know he uh, has talked about this in a more assertive manner in other places, but... It the thing I want you to look for and, and, and ask yourself is you have an experience, all right? Any experience. If it is related to or involves ethical decisions, uh, ethical conclusions, what determines how you view that experience as a Christian? So is it the Word of God and what the Word of God says about that particular topic, if we believe the Word of God does, in fact, is sufficient for all things pertaining to life and godliness, if it equips the man of God fully, then is are you searching the Word of God and finding out what does God say about this, and then you imposing that upon your experience, or at least uh, interpreting your experience by that, or... Do you then use your experience, do you do the opposite way? Like, I have an experience, and now 
I have to go try to fit this somehow into my theology or figure out a theology that will make sense of the experience I have, right? So do you you make sense of the word of God based on your experience or do you make sense of your experience based on the, the word of God's clear teaching? And I think probably all three of these individuals would say, well, we're just trying to, we, we want the word of God to be the authority here. But I think what actually is happening and downstream, I think from Sam Albury, when he teaches this stuff, the opportunity is given there to for something kind of dangerous. He is going through his 20s saying, well, my feelings haven't changed. I, 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 I have this artificial goal. Now, maybe that's not the goal he should have had. I don't know. That's that's between him and God. But he had this assumption that it seems like it was a wrong assumption that he would, he would uh, by, by the time he was 30, that's the deadline, have kids. Is that something that, not the 30 thing, but having kids, having a wife and kids, is that a good aspiration? We'd have to say, yes, of course it is. That's God wants us to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Marriage is a good thing. God invented it, created it. It's a picture of Christ in the church. It's, it's beautiful, right? So, so there's nothing wrong with that. But what he doesn't talk about is taking active steps. Now, maybe he did, but he doesn't talk about it here, taking active steps towards trying to bring that about. In fact, one of the reasons I know that there's probably something lacking here is he says, I didn't tell anyone. <laughs> so I didn't, he didn't tell any, his, his pastor, his, he didn't tell anyone about this during his, his tw- it wasn't until his late 20s, but yet he still has this expectation that at 30, I'm going to have, it's just, these desires are going to go away. I'll have a wife, I'll have kids by that time. So the tools that God has given us uh, include our, our leaders, our pastors, right? Our shepherds, they're the ones watching over our souls. They're the ones that um, help us walk through some of these difficult situations. And at this point, as he's talking about his story, he hasn't told anyone about this, but he's just kind of had this experience privately. And so should the conclusion be drawn from this that, well, I guess you're, that's just the way you are. You're just a same sex attracted person. You might as well, you know, don't create expectations of having a wife and family. Don't pursue that goal. It's pursue something else. Pursue singleness, Christ-centered singleness. Pursue, I don't know, uh, just other things that don't involve sexuality. Pursue these friendships that can somehow give you a level of intimacy that's not marriage, but at least it's something. Is that, uh, is that a right take from this? That's the question. So, um, so, so at this point in Sam Albury's life, he, he isn't using at least all the tools that God, uh, and I don't know all the circumstances, but the, the tools that God has given would include leaders helping us through these things. And he just, he, he doesn't create a, an assumption or goal as much as he creates an assumption. And when it's unmet, when his assumption, his deadline is not met, that's when something happens. That's when he starts to kind of realize in his own mind that, well, this is part of my identity, I guess, right? So feelings of same-sex attraction, thinking he's gay. Then he becomes a Christian. This is my identity now. So because I'm a Christian, I'm going to change. The change didn't happen the way I thought it was going to happen in the time frame I thought it was going to happen. Therefore, now I can fuse, I can, I can take that gay identity and fuse it with my Christianity because I guess that's who I am. Instead, I'd like to just suggest there are other options out there. 
make war on this thing. And that would include finding spiritual accountability and, and a leader that can help you with this. Um, that would uh, include not making specific deadlines of, of expectations that I'll be married with a wife and kids by the time I'm 30. I, by the way, I'm one that had that expectation, by the way, that I'd be married with a wife and kids by the time I was 30. And I was married, but I didn't have kids. And so should I assume that God just wants me to never have kids? You know, that I guess it's just not going to happen. No, right? I keep pursuing that. I keep, um, that, that's, that's something that I think is a good desire. It's a right desire. It's a God-ordained thing. And because of that, I don't give up on that. And that's the, with Sam Albury. Uh, I mean, he could have just as easily been a heterosexual who thought, I'll have a wife, wife and kids by the time I'm 30. It didn't happen. I guess I'm doomed to singleness, right? So I know I'm in- injecting way more commentary than video we've watched. We'll watch more video, but um, I just have a lot of thoughts on this. And this is so subtle. The conclusions that can be drawn from this kind of thing and the analysis you're about to hear, it's so subtle and it sounds kind of so good, but you've got to watch out for the logical conclusion that the, what can be extrapolated from the assumptions that you're hearing. At the time, with your youth group leader, no anybody problem. else, it's just internally yeah, you're I, kind of going I've through this? I've told us all. Okay. Still, how long before you began to? It was, it was, my, mid, it was my late 20s before I told anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and why was that? Was that fear? Explain. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it was fear. I, I thought you're not supposed to have these feelings if you're a Christian. I've got all these new Christian friends that I, I love. Um, they may not want to be my friends if they really knew what some of the things that I am tempted by. I was just I was already very soon after I, I came to faith, I felt a call to, to pastoral ministry. Counterintuitively, I, I grew up with a, a massive fear of public speaking. So, <laughs> but I felt a call about six months after I came to faith that I was going to be a preacher. Wow. Um, so, and I, I, I was just beginning to explore. We're going to, he's going to come back to this later on in this talk. He's going to talk a a little bit more about um, whether or not you should expect God to give you a family or not. So I don't, uh, I can't remember or not if he goes off more on that particular subject here, but we're going to come back to it. Um, Let's go to this uh, next. I want to do this in sequential order. Um, He, he finds out, this is a a big piece of his, of the puzzle, I think, and, and, his story, which, I mean, he shares his story a lot. That's why I'm going over it. The story, the, the, the teaching comes from, to some degree, the story. And so this is when he found out that homosexuality was more common, and it helped him. Back yeah. in the early 2000s, where people were like, statistically, in, a si- in the room this size, there are several people wrestle with this, and people going, oh, I yeah. didn't realize it was maybe a common thing. That Was that a sense of relief for you? Oh, hugely, because he then said, and if this is you... Please know that you're not on your own. Um, we'd love to support you and encourage so you. Good, so yeah. someone was basically saying, I see you. Yeah. yeah. I, I know you're there. Yeah. I want you to come and talk to me and it's okay. It's going to be safe. So I had recently preached my first sermon at that church post kind of ordination. So I was due to meet with him anyway. Um, to review uh, that. To kind of like, you know. Yeah. Critique it. Pick, pick through the wreckage of that anyway. And sort of. <laughs> Here's all the things out. you did wrong. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, you do not have a future as a pastor. Like I like your one. shirt. <laughs> Let's start right. with the positives. Right. You, have a, um, you have a nice voice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, so I arranged to meet him anyway, and I said, he said, Let, let's 
meet up and go through your, your sermon from a couple of weeks ago. And I, I said to him, yes, and there's something else I'd like to talk to you about as well. Okay. I thought, I'm going to make myself have to talk about this other thing. Yeah. So we, we met up that week. We picked through my sermon. Um, and then he said, so... What's the other thing? What's the other thing? Yeah. At that moment, I wished I'd never said that there was another yeah, thing. Right, yeah. um, so I said, I'm, I'm really struggling with homosexuality I think those, those were my exact words and then sort of braced myself for you know the ceiling to fall down <laughs> and for fire to engulf the room right. or something and he, he could not have been more reassuring he, he look, just looked at me for a moment and smiled and said thank you so much and he, he said that that sounds like that was a difficult thing to share and I'm so grateful that you shared that with me and I just oh. thought I just felt a profound relief yeah like okay, this was that, this was the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. And then he didn't then sort of whack me over the head with First Corinthians six or anything. He just said, "How long have you been aware of this?" Mm-hmm. And he just asked me some gentle questions. You know, what's it been like for you? Have you been in love? Has that been painful? Um, just empathetic. Yeah. Uh, and no doubt this was building a framework for how you would yeah. talk about it. Oh in yeah, future I've been on the well. other side yeah. of yeah. all of those sorts yeah. of conversations. Um, but it, it it was it was a pastoral masterclass as well as being personally just such a a tonic and relief and a balm. Um, so the reason I wanted to play this for you is because this has worked its way into Sam Albury's ministry, and there's a really good side to this in the sense that if a Christian is saying I'm struggle, that's a good key word here, struggling. Okay, so not. Not I'm identifying as, but I'm I'm struggling with this temptation towards this particular sin, and they bring this up with their pastor, and their pastor is gentle and receptive, and and then I mean he doesn't really talk about this, but let's just assume the best that then he brings in the the gospel and says that these are sinful desires and temptations, but this is what Jesus did for you. Um, which actually, that's not really what I hear Sam Albury saying, but at least there's a spirit of gentleness there and receptivity. And so th- that spirit should definitely be present if someone comes in good faith like that. Then you give them the gospel, but the law is going to be part of that too. And that's the thing that I see missing from so much of this is there's an acknowledgement that the, I mean, in fact, later on in the podcast, they, the law gets brought up. There's an acknowledgement that, well, the law means you need to follow Jesus. But an actual like direct confrontation of like it what you're doing is wrong yet this isn't okay like thank you for sharing with me that thank thank you for coming to me that must be hard i've had my sins and and struggles and uh and and this is sin is common to man and and then glorify jesus jesus is what jesus did to and we need to flee to him. We need to repent of that. We need to hear, I'm going to work with you through this. I'm going to weep with you. I'm going to, that, that seems to be the, the missing piece in my mind here. The let's, let's get you from A to B. And I'm here to help shoulder that. I'm, and Jesus is there. He is the, he's the answer to this. He's the one that uh, did shoulder your sin already on the cross and it's defeated. And we need to behave in that way that Sin shall no longer reign in our mortal bodies to obey its lust. Uh, that we're a new creation in Christ. That we, these are realities that we need to believe, and we need to let our feelings then come in line under those realities. And it's going to take work. It's going to take time. Look, even 
Gluttony is hard. Diets take time, right? Limiting yourself from food. I mean, look, if, hey, when's, I mean, if you, not, not to, I'm not trying to make a joke out of this at all, but the, gluttony is a sin. And let's say, and it doesn't mean being fat's a sin, by the way. Gluttony is a sin. So overindulgence in food. Let's say by the, and it manifests itself, obviously, most of the time in someone who uh, is overweight. And so let's say someone who has a, a problem with gluttony says, you know, by the time I'm 30, really think I'm going to be a marathon runner. And then it doesn't, it doesn't really, you don't tell anyone you struggle with this, but um, that one's a little difficult because it's a little more obvious, but let's say so you don't tell anyone and you don't seek any help. Really. You just think it's, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. It's just going to happen. And then it doesn't. And then when that goal is not realized, you, you go and you talk to someone and say, Hey, you know, I struggle with this. And all that person has to say is, well, you know, you glad you came and told me that must be hard. You know, has it been difficult with um, not being able to eat foods that you want to eat at times because you're struggling with this and empathizes with you to some extent, but there really isn't like an action plan and a like, um, I mean, this is why people like Jordan Peterson, even though he's not a Christian, it's like the dad getting in your face, clean your room, right? Get it together. There, That, that needs to be there too, to some extent. Uh, I mean, Paul he does that with Timothy. There's a gentleness, but there is also a, there, there's imperatives. And so where do the imperatives come in of, and, and a, like a concrete, let's go, let's figure something out here. So, um, there, there's not a lot of that in this. And there's not a lot of that that I've heard from Sam Albury's ministry. So that, so when you don't have that, it doesn't seem like there's many answers because the thing that would, that Sam Albury, you would think the thing that would help Christians is because he struggled with this, he can show people how to overcome it. That's that's what Ron Riesco, um, Bobby Lopez, Darren Mel, that all the guys I've had on my podcast, that's what they've all said to me. I mean, they've all this has been something they've all had to overcome in being a Christian. And, and each of their stories look a little different, but it's work, it's battle, it's war, it's not war for nothing. And you have to have someone who's gonna. You, you have to have at least in yourself a drive towards uh, being rid of this sin, just dying to it, mortifying it. If that's not present, then, and, and it's just kind of a, a kumbaya type session, then you're not going to really get anywhere. And that's the concern I have. Um, and it's what's missing from even a podcast like this. The, that practical stuff is just missing. It's more of a message to the church on how they should be gentle with homosexuals than it is a message of repentance, uh, a rescue message of, of uh, sanctification for homosexuals who are caught in this. So um, he found so, so he found out homosexuality was more common and that helped him. That, that helped him realize he wasn't alone. And, and I, I want to say this, that is a good thing because churches should, we, we should at least let people know. And I don't, now you may not have to do it as much, but there, there should, I don't think you have to go out and say homosexuality, but I think just sexual sin. You can say, look, this is common demand that these are the kinds of things people struggle with. And let, there should be an environment in your church of approachability. If you have leadership that's not approachable on sin, you need to find new leadership. Okay. And, and I don't mean leader leadership is going to obviously want to help you, 
right? So if you're so if you're so weak that you can't take a critique of your sin, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if you have leadership that literally just reams you out and doesn't have any encouragement and doesn't bear the burdens with you and doesn't weep with you and does, then, then you need to find a new leader. You need to find another church. I mean, that that's necessary for someone who's going to watch over your soul. They have to be people who are hospitable and are they're familiar with their congregation enough and the issues that go on there that they can, they're not going to be shocked when you say things and they're going to help you overcome. That's part of their job. Uh, so Sam Albury here um, is he, in his story, he's, there's these assumptions behind there that kind of he is, this is how he's wired somehow. And the right approach is the approach his pastor took but it doesn't seem to involve much in the way of concrete plan of action. Let's let's mortify this. It's more of just an understanding session. And uh, and then it it goes to this. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Um, we're going to go about ten minutes ahead. And Sam Albury talks about how he at what point in in this whole development he decided, you know what now. I need to be one of the guys. I, I think that the Lord's calling me to speak on this. Listen to the reason why he thinks that. In 20, around 2012, that was when in the UK we were really you were really seeing the cultural shifts happen very, very obviously around you. People I had trained with at seminary were beginning to, to change in their convictions. Um, you were feeling the cultural pressure that we were going through our own national conversation about gay marriage at that stage. Mm -hmm. And I just had this burden on my heart that I've, and, and typically what you'd hear is some very lovely sounding gay rights activist presenting the case for, for same sex marriage. And then some cranky conservative <laughs> saying why well, it's all wrong. Right. And I just thought we need someone from inside this topic to speak to it. And I just had a burden. I just wanted people to know that, that Jesus' word to people in my situation is a good word. It's not easy, but yeah. it's a good word. Yeah. And I, it was, I couldn't, I was getting to the stage where I couldn't not say that. So I had to say to the, I was working for a church at the time, I had to say to the, the rest of the church leadership, I was an assistant, assistant pastor, I said, I, I really feel like I need to say something. They all knew anyway, I'd, I'd been open with them about this particular struggle. And so they, they gave their, their blessing on that. So I, I first shared with our church family um, in a prayer meeting, then wrote a little article for them, waited a, a month or two, and then posted that article online. Um, and it, it, everything just kind of blew kind up of after that. Off, took off yeah. from there. Did that go viral? It did. TGC picked it up and ran with it. Okay. Um, and what I hadn't realized, two things I hadn't anticipated. One was that I would actually feel quite comfortable talking. Okay, so here's the problem that Sam Albury helped navigate. And I think this is where his goals and TGC's goals kind of line up. He Look at the position that you have the cranky. He says cranky. It's interesting, the word choice in this for those who would be more conservative trying to hold to a, a biblical sexual ethic it's it's cranky. I think at one point he might say uh, in this angry uh, that there's these angry kind of cranky people, and then there's the homosexual activists, 
which you don't hear the same pejoratives, <laughs> the negative terms at least used about. And then there's him. Then there's, he just wants to let people know that Jesus has a good word. Well, Jesus, obviously his word is repent, right? Jesus wants people to repent from even their desires that are not in accord with God's. And so it's it's kind of, a, it it's sidesteps the culture war, so to speak, right? Because it's like, that's the culture war going on. They're fighting, but I, I don't see myself as represented by either of those sides. I'm going to kind of create this new third side or at least represent this this other perspective, which is, as you can hear Sam Albury, a much more gentle, if, if there is fire, the fire is going to be directed more <laughs> towards, it sounds like, the, the cranky conservative. Uh, and he, he's going to kind of come in and present a, uh, a more, a, a reasonable, a less angry, a less cranky uh, perspective on this that shows that, well, it's wrong, but, but there's this kind of exception carved out, as we'll see. And that's, in my mind, it's, it's so interesting because, I mean, I, I remember at that time in the United States, I mean, the same thing is going on, that there's there's battles over this whole issue, and there should have been. And honestly, people should be angry about that, that there's public profaning of marriage every day, that this, is, this isn't like a old traditional thing that we've lived with for years either. It's an innovation within most of our lifetimes that this took place. And it's an evil innovation. And to, to get angry about it would be a natural response. If just having jealousy for God and his law would be, that would be a natural response. Um, it's, it's not like that's, it's not a sinful thing necessarily or a wrong thing necessarily to be angry about that or, or cranky, I guess, as Salmo Albury likes to say. Does it mean there aren't people like Westboro Baptists out there that the media, you know, just love to gravitate towards to try to portray everyone the way that Westboro Baptist was? Sure. Yeah, there was very few people, but there were some people like that that were. But there more more often than not, though, the people who were opposed to this and were angry about it were angry about it because they recognized that this was evil, that this was a step in a wrong direction. And that's the thing that I that, that I bristle at when I hear gospel coalition types saying, uh, when I hear them say like what you just heard Sam Albury say, or that there's these these two extreme poles that are neither of them are Christian, and I'm going to come in and represent Christianity. And it's like, well, yeah, obviously there's non-Christians on a political conservative side of things. Now, now the politically conservative side is embracing homosexuality. It's so weird. They're just against transgender sports, right? But at the time, uh, it was maybe the last gasping breath of a Christian civilization and the, the influence that it once held in people, some of whom weren't even Christians, but they were still willing to uphold a standard and they recognized evil when they saw it. And our detectors for recognizing evil are so off now. And if anything, we owe a debt or at least a, a, maybe an, a, a thank you to the people who did risk their reputations and did take stands at that time, even when it was unpopular, even when it did a lot of damage to them. And and there were many, I mean, I remember what the CEO of, uh, I think it was Mozilla, uh, remember, because he supported Proposition 8 in California, was just raked over. This was kind of pre-cancel culture, but it was already happening. People were running for the hills because, you know, the writing was on the wall. The gay lobby had the momentum. And 
it's a time of war. And that's one of the things that we have to, to I think, recognize. You have to think through. When you have someone like a Sam Albury going out there, Sam Albury's not, he may be doing personal counseling, but what you, the reason you know about him isn't because of a person, personal counseling session you had with him. The reason you know about Sam Albury is because he's out there writing books and speaking at conferences, major ones, on this particular topic because he's the go-to guy on, in the social realm, okay, public social realm. And we're at war in that realm. And Sal Malbury does not have a war-like posture. There are wartime leaders and there are peacetime leaders. And I, I have my suspicion that Sam Malbury wouldn't be the best in a counseling office on this issue either. But let's say he was. To take this kind of attitude to the public realm when you're at war just means that you're not really going to be, you're not fighting the battle. You're trying to get everyone's attention. Hey, look over here. Look over here. But it's a distraction from there's a real battle out there. And um, and that's that's part of the concern I have with a, someone like a Sam Albury, too. So he needed someone. We needed someone from the inside to speak about it, you know, because someone from the inside. Well, OK, well, to, to condemn it, to say I was there and it's wrong and I agree we should be angry. We should oppose this. No, that's not what he's saying. Someone from the inside to then go say Jesus has a good word for you. Jesus, if you're, you know, homosexual, come to Jesus. He's got a good word for you. Okay, but if you don't repent, his word isn't a good word for you. That needs to be part of it too. Jesus does not have a good word for people who do not repent of their sin. Yes, he has a good word for someone who's repentant. And that's a work Jesus does in you. So it's not, it's not works righteousness, but it's, it is uh, the recognition that God changes an individual um, fundamentally when he to, to access the love that God has there is a there is a, a change that happens in that person's soul to the point that their desires down to their very core desires start to change they want things they didn't want before Sal Malbury claims to be a Christian I mean this is something he should just desire so strongly to overcome to get rid of these desires these sinful desires not just to live with them not well, to get rid of them so someone from the inside, someone with the experience, someone to carry a certain message that's not the political message that's out there. Because if you talk to a Darren Mel or a Bobby Lopez or a Juan Riesco, uh, they're going to be firmly on that cranky side of this is wrong and evil. And we did live that. We were from the inside. We live and it's wrong. It's an abomination. That, they're going to tell you to it, tell it to you straight. But God is forgiving, and it, we have experienced the, the love of God. And is that the message you hear from Sam Albury? That's the question I have. All right, let's uh, let's skip forward a little bit, bit in this, because Sam Albury develops this point a little bit more. Bring his son to you. Hmm. So if you're, a, if you're a gay person, right now God is, is offering you life in his son. He, he's not against you if he's offering you everything you could ever need and want um now there are things he he says um, you know not morally right so that there's things that will need to be repented of he's he clearly is prohibiting same-sex intimacy and relationships in that kind of way but he's so for us in that he's offering us christ has the Okay, and there's truth in this. That's the thing. There is absolute truth in this, that God is 
But God, here's a better way to phrase this. God is for himself and God is for his glory. And God is for sinners coming to repentance, which includes you. If you want to make it personal, you know, make it personal. But the call is to repent and, and to believe the gospel. So it's, so here's the thing. God is for you, but he's also, if you refuse this, uh, today is the day of salvation. If you refuse so great of a, sal- of a salvation, though, he is not for you. <laughs> he is against you. And people need to be warned about this. It's, it's not, he's for you because he's making an offer to you. Well, that, there, there has to be a connection here of some kind. There, that offer needs to be activated. And if it's not, if, you, if it's rejected, then that's, God is not for that. God is for uh, holiness. He's not for sin. And, and there's many passages in Scripture we can go to where God hates even specific groups of people. I mean, this is a hard concept, I know, for some people out there because, he, I mean, some of you probably just almost swerved off the road as you're listening. Wait a minute, God hates people? Yeah, I mean, he hates the Nicolaitans. Um, he hates, uh, I mean, seven things the Lord hates, yet six were an abomination, and there's a whole list, there's a vice list. And uh, you find not just activities, but groups of people who participate in certain sins. Uh, of course, there's the Romans 9 passage. There's there's a lot of passages. David even prays, Lord, do I not hate those who hate thee? I mean, there's, so there is there is a, a holy hatred and God can have both. He can have a holy love, uh, a sacrificial love, a an offer that goes out of repentance and a hatred too for those who practice sin. These things aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. That That's a whole episode in, in and of itself I don't have time to do today, but Sam Albury doesn't give, if, you, if there's a balance, Sam Albury, I think, is kind of missing it a bit here because what he says is true, but there's more to it, right? And that's that's what's missing. And that's honestly what the culture, that's what people out there need to hear. <laughs> that's what they need to know, that there is judgment coming. Uh, we're getting close to the time of Jonah going to Nineveh and just proclaiming judgment. I mean, and then they all repent, right? That would be great. But that's where we're at. It's a misreading of the times, I think, too, that you that you have in here. Uh, and maybe that's the difference between wartime and peacetime mentalities. But uh, Sam Albury, you know, it's so misleading for him to say, uh, God, because this is in response to the question by Paul Tripp, is God anti-gay? And Sam Albury's like, well, look, God's not anti-you. Okay, what does that mean? Yes, God is anti-homosexuality. He is. And if you are... If, see, see, this whole thing builds on itself. If you have this identity, this I'm a Christian, but I'm same-sex attracted, and that's part of my identity, okay, which Sam Albury does. So you're gay. And that's what he used to say. Now he says same-sex attracted, but all right, you have that. And then uh, he writes a book, Is God Anti-Gay? And he's asked the question, hey, what do you think of the title of that book? What's the answer? And he says, well, God's not anti-you. And if And if you are gay, right? That's that the implication here, what I think every reasonable person would come to the conclusion of is that, well, I guess God's not anti-gay. He's not because, and but then the reason is, is because, well, he's given you this opportunity to repent, to, to come to his son. He, he loves you. And of course, yeah, you need to get these few things right. You need to repent, uh, you know, but, but, but the, the big thing that you need to realize is God's not anti-you. That is as clear as mud. And I know I MD Perkins now said what he did about Sam Albury because it's so difficult to, understand where this guy is coming from 
it's it, it's like you don't really get a straight answer to the question and it's not like it's a difficult question to answer you can answer it very easily nope uh, God is not anti a sinner who comes to repentance. He's very much in favor of that, but he is against those who engage in sin and are unrepentant of it. it there, it's that simple. And that could be murder. That could, I mean, you could, what if the question was, Hey, is God anti pedophilia? And then, well, you know, people who struggle with pedophilia, God's just not anti you because he's giving you an opportunity to repent. So you, so you need to repent of that, but you know, you just got to know he's not anti you. You'd walk away like, wait, wait, what? So wait, is he or is he not? It, like, it's like, no, it's very clear. He's anti that, right? He's totally against it. All right. Um, let's, the confusing part is because they've made this ingrained part of your identity attraction, defining yourself by your sin and your, your sinful desires. So that it makes these kinds of questions so difficult for them. All right. Uh, he goes on, he talks about how church culture is anti-gay. Should we play that? I don't know if we should. Let's play Church it. culture being anti-gay? Yeah, in many ways. And and still is, sadly. In, in Okay, so the contrast, God is not anti-gay, or at least he's not anti-you. Okay, so, so he couldn't quite answer that one clearly. But the question, is church culture anti-gay? That, he, he's clear on that one. Yeah, they, yeah, man, church culture is anti-gay. So th there's a discrepancy between the church and God in Sam Albury's mind here, right? The church is saying one thing, but they're not representing God. That's a problem, right? That's a pretty, that's a bad thing. So he's got more fire towards the cranky conservatives in the church than he does for homosexuals. He, he can kind of, it's like a muttering under your breath. Well, they got to kind of repent and do some things, but yeah, God's for them. Uh, and and but the church again. I mean, listen to what he says about the church. In not a few places. And so, what does that look like practically? That 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 anti-gay stance. Well, it can it can look like a number of things. One of the areas where I I feel like I sniff it out most easily is when this sexual sin is treated very differently to other sexual sins. So mm. I've I've seen churches where it's fine to sleep around. It's fine to to be on your fourth or fifth marriage but don't 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 be gay um or i'm gonna just confess we might have very different understandings or experiences with church like any church i've been a part of that is not the case at all but uh if there so so you have a church that's upholding a standard in one area and not in another let's say and let's say he's just given the benefit of the doubt that's all correct they're fine with people sleeping around, apparently, but not fine with them being homosexual. Well, that's hypocrisy on the part of the church. The, the, the root issue with that, though, is not that the church is anti-gay. That's not the problem, okay? The problem is the church is too soft on adultery and fornication, right? They're pro-adultery. That's the way to frame it. Yeah, I, there's churches that are pro-fornication. -for you wouldn't frame it that there's churches that are, uh, are anti-gay. See the difference there? Um, so a church that elevates one sin and thinks it's fine before God and other sins aren't, the, the problem with the church is that they've carved out exceptions, uh, kind of like Sam Albury's carving out an exception for this ingrained identity of homosexual orientation of some kind, whether by that name or another. So there's, uh, 
the the way he's framing it is not a an I would say an accurate or or a helpful way to frame it because that's not the root issue with a church like that. The church may have inherited a Christian moral framework is still upholding somewhat of a Christian standard. And as society goes the direction it's going, as these pillars fall one after another, guess what? That church is in danger of embracing homosexuality. They've already caved on divorce and, and fornication. So why wouldn't they cave on another sexual sin, right? As, as, as society embraces that particular sin, that would be the concern. Let's build up the walls. Let's make sure that you already, you already have water in the boat. Don't let in more water. But in, in Sam Albury's mind, it's like, you know, it's like, well, is the church uh, letting in, uh, are they, is the church trying to fight against the water that's coming in? And, and he's like, well, well, no, because look, they've already let this other water in. It's like, no, they, they actually, a church like that probably is fighting to some extent, but either they're ignorant or they're just hypocrites and they're not a real church. So you, you pick, but it's it's just funny to me he makes this kind of like um he he makes a statement that's so broad as like this is this is characteristic of the church maybe in england it is that's odd to me but if that is that would be the analysis not well we got to focus on their anti-gay let's focus on all right you got the homosexuality thing right because that's a sin but you're missing out on god's law when it comes to other issues you know, a, an unmarried heterosexual couple will be given a lot of slack, but a, a gay couple will be kind of, you're not allowed in the church door unless you, unless we tell you right now we don't agree with what you're doing. Yeah. And I kind of think, why why the difference there? Um, now, there is a difference, guys, in Scripture. We talked about this last week in a podcast uh, about uh, Romans 1 and how it categorizes homosexuality. of as And it's not me saying this, it's just the Word of God saying that these are basically unnatural desires. Um, there is there is a difference there now. So it's it's a it's a deeper level. I, I would wouldn't we say that pedophilia would be a deeper level of sexual sin? You know, hey, why are they being harder on registered sex offenders than they are that someone who accidentally, uh, sinfully, but accidentally um, put themselves in a compromising situation with a girlfriend and experiences temptation to do that? Right, because there's a reason for that. It's because one is we're we're getting closer to natural desires that God's put there being exercised in ways that God hasn't ordained, versus unnatural desires that um, are the result of of as Romans one says, a worship of creation instead of the Creator. So you're, th- there's a difference here, and the civil penalties even carry that. That there's a difference. We have to make that distinction. So to, to basically say, well, churches should just flatline all sexual sins, that would be wrong. We shouldn't just flatline them all. They're all evil. They're all, they all send you to hell. They all should be repented of. God has hope for anyone that's struggling with these things uh, because Jesus Christ has taken on the punishment for those particular sins. God treated him like the homosexual, like the pedophile, like the adulterer, like the fornicator, and poured his wrath out on Jesus so that you can be free. That's that's the good message of Christianity, so it's it's not a um, it's not a message of like if you come to church and you you got to start out with being completely free from all these these thoughts and temptations. There's not one person that doesn't come with some level of sin that needs to be repented of, but it's also not that 
you come to church and there's no distinctions made between sins. There, there are distinctions and they should be there. And it's hard not to, to think that there's homophobia in that. Yeah. Uh, homophobia, that's the sin of all this. It's homophobia, right? It's homophobia. Uh, no, it's and I don't, homophobia is, is not the first one that should be on the list here. And that's not even a, a sin in scripture. That's, that's such a psychologized category and politically charged word to say homophobia. So uh, would you say there, for you, there's a particular sacrifice of life that I don't face? I can marry who the person I love. I can have a family. You will never, never be able to have that. Um, how does the Lord meet you in that, in that experience? Yeah, and it, it depends which week you ask me, to be honest. <laughs> this week I'm doing okay. Um, but generally, I, I don't feel like I've been given a bad deal here. Um, there's, there's a few things to say on this. I do know some people who are same-sex attracted who've been able to marry someone of the other sex healthily, happily, honestly, without kind of doing a bait-and-switch. Um, so I, I wouldn't want anyone who's experiencing same-sex attraction to, to think, they will never be able to get okay. married. Some, Good. for some, they can. Um, for some of us, it, it feels less likely, less realistic. There are times, not very often now, there are still times when I'll pray to, to the Lord and say, I don't think you want me to get married, but if you do... I'm open to it, yeah. You're sovereign. Yeah. Um, she'll have to be fairly amazing. And, you know... But I, I'm not... I did in my 20s and in my 30s, particularly at that age, everyone else's, every Saturday in from from April through to October is a wedding. Uh, that was a painful season because I, I just, all my friends were becoming less available in mm -hmm. their friendship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, that felt difficult. Actually, now I'm in my, in my mid-40s. I've never enjoyed being single so much. Hmm. Partly because some of my peers are now getting to the stage where they're, they're back in circulation again that the kids are sort of at the stage <laughs> yeah. where they can be left alone or right. you know yeah. um they're like hey let's go and see the first matrix movie like, yeah. Yeah, that that kind of it's not it, it, you know um this is interesting and, it, and i just want to say this it, it hurts me in some ways to make it saddens me to watch it because i i do feel for sam albury and i think that's the draw that people have it's there's a a natural sense someone gets i think when they listen to him that oh man you know you're 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 kind of deprived here and it's the same sympathy unfortunately you would have though towards someone who's um maybe disabled or experienced a tragedy of some kind and is unable or prevented from uh from doing something that they really want to do. But you have to ask the question, what's the thing Sam Albury really wants to do here? And I, I don't want to be too graphic on this, especially if there's kids listening. <laughs> I'm trying to even think how to phrase it. There's a relational aspect to this, and that's all they're really talking about right now. But there's more than a relational aspect to it in an emotional sense. There's a sexual aspect to this, to homosexuality. It's often ignored in these kinds of discussions. Um, no one wants to ask that question. So, you know, 
what is it what's the kind of thing you're tempted to think about other men what's the kind of thing that you're desiring to do with them what's we don't go there christians don't go there in these scenarios but it's a package deal that's part of it that's not otherwise what are we talking about i mean he can be friends with other guys right what's he what are we really talking about when we're talking about i'll never be able to get married or i'll never experience the things i'm glad to hear him at least say that he's he thinks it's extremely unlikely but he's open to it at least there's an openness to it i would want to see and i and so, and this is something that I'm thinking through. You can put comments in the uh, comment section if you have a thought on this. I asked Juan Riesco this question. I said Juan because he struggled, uh, or he he lived. He was in San Francisco, living this out to its you know nth degree. I said, "Look, you're a Christian now. You got a family. You got kids. Do you ever like? Is that a struggle for you ever? Is that something that comes up that you know you?" how does this work? Because you, you hear all these things from like TGC types about like, it's this constant struggle that, and you kind of just have to realize that maybe it'll never go away. And Juan was just like, yeah, that's stupid. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know if he said that word exactly stupid, but he, he just said that that is foolish. We use that word. He said, uh, he said, I don't focus on that. That's not, I, I live like, I mean, this is a guy, you know, working all the time, doing a business. He's he's busy. He's got kids, but he's enjoying his family, enjoying his kids and his wife. He's not going deep into his head about, you know, these kinds of desires. He's not asking himself those questions. He's just believing what God said about him. He's obeying God and he doesn't even entertain those things. He's like, you know, if a thought comes, you just put it away. Like you don't, that's not something. And, and, I'm not going to say his experience is normative for everyone, that it's that easy for everyone, that it's it's going to be more difficult for some people. The hill might be harder to climb, but you can still climb it. That's the point. Jesus was tempted in all points yet without sin. He's our example. We're called to be holy because he is holy. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the word of God. He's given us other Christians. He's given us pastors. He's given us all kinds of tools and resources. He's given us a mission to occupy our time with. He's given us talents and abilities to occupy our time with. And I think we would do well, no matter what the sin is, to don't give it any fuel. Just focus. When, when your mind is so filled with things that are good and right and holy, and just, you don't have room for these other things to come in. Repent when they do. Don't define yourself by it. And expect the best. Expect that... Jesus is bringing you from from sin to sanctification. He's sanctifying you. You're in a process. And the hope is, the hope should be there. There's no hope in this. What's the hope here? Like, well, I can get by. <laughs> I can, the struggle isn't quite as bad. Uh, I, I've just kind of come to terms with it. Well, there's some things you're going to have to come to terms with. If you lose your arm as an amputee, you're not getting your arm back. Unless God does some kind of miracle, but you're likely, you, you're like, that's not a sin-related thing. This is a sin-related thing. This is, you know, I just have to live kind of with this sin, this, these evil desires. No, you don't. No, you don't. And I don't think that should be the expectation. Set your expectations higher than that. Well, what if I'm discouraged? Well, 
don't look at it like it's got to be married with kids in, by 30, like Sam Albury did. Look at it like every day is going to be a little bit better than the day before. Every week, every month, every year, better than it was last year. I'm going to excel. We're going to, things are going to get better. And a righteous man falls seven times, gets back up. You just get back up and you keep fighting and you, you put to death uh, those thoughts and, and those, those inclinations. I don't see the fight here. I just don't see the hope here. I don't see the expectation that Jesus is going to do something. The Holy Spirit's going to do something. Um, I'm using the tools he's given me. I mean, have you resisted to the point of, of bloodshed? Are you sweating the drops of blood that Jesus did in the garden? Is uh, That seems to be the thing that's missing. And 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 this, this weak generation that already has a hard time with, well, if it's hard, I'll just give up. They don't need this. <laughs> they don't need this at all. Uh, all right, let's, um, let's see here. Got, so I want to say one positive thing, at least he said that he's open to the idea that God will give him a family, but not, not exactly your rousing um, rallying cry. Uh, let's, let's skip ahead quite a bit here. I want to talk about something else. He he makes some conflations here, which I think are very subversive. So that there's a breadth of intimacy I get to experience that you don't. Sure, sure. Um, there's a breadth of intimacy I get to experience that you don't. Sam Albury says, as a homosexual Christian, or as he says, a same-sex attracted Christian to someone who's a heterosexual. Why is that? So there's, again, there are some unique pluses to being in, in my situation. Um and I keep coming back to, I know the bridegroom. I'm not, I'm not actually missing out. Yeah. Mm. Um, I'm not getting that the temporal signpost of, of the love of God that, that marriage is designed to be. Um, I'm not getting the appetizer, but I'm getting the entree. And the entree is so good, I, I can skip the appetizer. Mm. Um, so if I have the bridegroom, then I'm not missing out on the whole marital romance all of that stuff he's trying to make singleness because he he's more or less he's kind of settled with this idea that i'm 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 gonna be single because i have these attractions and so in that he's just his whole way of trying to make this uh to, to lessen the blow that this is for a lot of people who would be following in his footsteps, coming to these same conclusions. Well, I guess I have these inclinations, man, I guess maybe I'm going to be single the rest of my life. He's trying to it, it, say that, well, it's, there's a something, there's an advantage to it. Now, what's the advantage Paul says about singleness in first Corinthians? What does he say about singleness? He says essentially that the, the, the reason that si the singleness is an advantage is because you're not busy doing what? Satisfying a wife. You're busy about doing the will of God. That's not what Sam Albury says here. Salma Albury makes it about this sort of romantic sounding intimacy he has with God because of the fact that he's single. He knows the bridegroom, even the way he phrased that. It's a little odd. And I, it's just odd. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts I want to share, but they're not, I don't know how to phrase them in ways that are, uh, necessarily appropriate it, it maybe there's a creepiness to it to some extent i i don't i, I hesitate to say that because i don't want to say that about sam albury i don't 
think uh, he doesn't come across to me as a creepy person, but the way he describes his relationship with God, because he's a same sex attracted single male and how it's in some ways superior to others is a little weird to me. Actually, I'm, I'm just as swept up in it. Um, that, that is profoundly meaningful to me. I'm, yeah. I'm wearing a ring on my ring finger, which is a cultural signal for, Hey, I'm married. Um, I've, there's other stories to why I'm wearing this to do with medical research. It's a, a smart ring. But I felt, I felt, actually, I'm going to wear it on this ring because I'm taken. Mm-hmm. Mm. I belong to someone. Mm. Um, and it's a nice tangible reminder to me that, I, that the bridegroom mm-hmm. pursues me. I don't know that I need to comment on that. It's a nice tangible reminder to me that the bridegroom pursues me, so he wears a wedding ring. I'll say this. Um, if he's open to the idea of getting married one day, not a good move to be wearing a wedding ring, especially in Christian environments. That doesn't exactly signal an openness. I'm just saying. So uh, let's let's skip ahead here. Um Let's let's go. There's not many more places I want to go. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've I've realized since then. We we live in a culture where we try to define ourselves by who we love, because I love this type of person. That means I'm a this. That's now my definition. If I if I have romantic and and affectionate feelings towards other guys, that means. I'm now defined by that kind of love. What John is showing us, whether he's intending to do that or not, I've got no idea, but he's showing me that actually I'm more defined by who's loved me yeah. than by the type of person I love. So important. I'm def- That's not exactly accurate, though. Um, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, love the Father is not in him. Uh, we love him because he first loved us. They're both important to who you are. So, in fact, loving your family, country, your place, your these are all natural things that really help form or they contribute to the identity that one has. So th- this isn't accurate, what he's saying here. Um, it there's It's like a fortune cookie. There's, there's some truth in the sense that Jesus loving you is so important and that uh, that does define you, but that's also going to have an impact on the love that you have and where it's, excuse me, where it's directed. Uh, he, he comes up with this kind of other category for family too. listen to this. Most of our life as a, as a church, we think we're preaching from the pulpit. Yeah. And even when we had talked about this some too, of like, as a, you know, because you've, you've talked about your first book being, is God anti-gay or not your, first book didn't you write some stuff on james too but it's given you um avenues to speak into other areas Mm -hmm. such as singleness uh our our bodies Mm -hmm. uh, who we sleep with that kind of things you've been able to really help us understand too like what what do we say when we use the word family for example yeah um because when we say families in the church we're often thinking the nuclear family husband and wife kids Mm -hmm. in a house with a dog two cars, that kind of a thing. But biblically, when we say family, 
how does how does what does family mean to you differently that it that it might mean to me yeah it's uh it's this beautiful area way in which jesus he's not calling us to abandon our biological families we have responsibilities there that that he will hold us to but he gives us another category of family that transcends even biology and so with it particularly in the within the life of the local church we we are to see ourselves and to to treat ourselves as not just related in a in a distant sense of you're my second cousin and you're my you know but actually as close family Paul says treat older men as fathers not as great uncles treat younger men as, as brothers um, Jesus himself when he's asked about his family he is oh no 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 these yeah, people these sitting under my word that's my family now which culturally at the time was like what how could you say yeah. something like that and wonderfully some of his his biological family or became his part yeah. of his yeah. his spiritual family too um, and that that's the case for me I, I've wonderful physical parents um i also have lots of people spiritually who feel like they're their parents to me as well uh, people who feel like they're brothers and sisters i have people who feel like they are their sons to me and that this was a big revelation to me a few years ago my church um about 10 years ago we were Starting a sermon series on Titus, I had I was given the job of chopping up Titus into how we were going to preach it. And for some reason, I thought, let's just do a sermon on the first bit of just the introduction of Paul saying hello. We skip we skip the greetings. Let's mm-hmm. just do a whole. So I was like, okay. Then I was okay. I've got to get a whole sermon out of like the three verses or something. <laughs> yeah. So half the sermon is on what does Paul say about Paul? What does Paul say about Titus? Paul says like five words about Titus. So I'm like, okay, I've got to get some. I've got to wring some, you know, <laughs> yeah. sermon out of this. So I I went deep on it, and it says to Titus, my true child in a common faith, which I'd always sort of read as I'd been breezing through. I kind of read that as, hey, kiddo, you know. <laughs> Ruffle the hair. Yeah. I, I, I looked up the Greek, and it was, it's something to the effect of my legitimate begotten. Wow. I thought, whoa. That's a big deal. This is not just, hey, Sonny, um, and I looked up the, the, the word and, and Paul did a whole ton of begetting. Yeah. And mm. there's, you know, mm. he says of the Corinthian church, he, he begot the entire church. I mean, and it was a, it came in a season where I had just been at a, at a dear friend's wedding. And one of the sweet things that happened after the wedding, the beginning of the, the kind of reception was... Um, the father did a special dance with his daughter and he had taken dancing lessons to surprise his daughter and be able to dance with her on her wedding night. And that was just a kind of sweet thing and then mm. the string quartet in the background and everyone was kind of like, everyone had something in their eye at that point. <laughs> yeah. And I remember feeling just a profound sense of of bereavement that I'm never going to have a daughter that I can do that for. And that, that had sort of just weighed heavily on me. And then I, I you know, minding my own, own business in, in Titus chapter one, notice that and think, oh, I've I've been a parent this whole time and I hadn't realized it. Yeah. And as I, as I preached That's that sermon, true. I had a few young guys wrote to me in the days after that sermon and said, 
basically they said you've you've been a spiritual father to me um uh, so this is actually i think what he's saying is actually a beautiful reality that those without children or those who aren't married who are single they they often do in a well-functioning church they will um find people who can serve kind of in these roles I don't think we we have to be careful of a conflation though that God does establish these natural relationships in family and he also establishes a spiritual family and because you're missing out in your mind or you're hungering for something that God that God says is good in that natural realm it doesn't necessarily mean that you that it's a substitute uh, in the sense that it it fulfills those natural longings in the spiritual realm. I think that the the danger here is where, and, and they don't really say this in the podcast, but I've heard it many, so many times before of idolizing the family, of the nuclear family, of that there's a... Uh, an, or even idolizing marriage, there is an effort, a concerted effort to try to make out like idolizing marriage, family, and the nation are so problematic. And often this alternative is given of, well, you're part of uh, a spiritual kingdom that has no, or a city that has no foundation, and you're part of uh, a spiritual family, and you're part of the, the the church offers these things. And I mean, I've even heard people say, "Well, we shouldn't really celebrate Mother's Day because of the way it makes people feel left out when they're not mothers." And 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 the thing with all of this is, there's natural relationships, and there's spiritual relationships, and it's the, the one doesn't serve as necessarily a substitute for the other. It's not a it's not a parallel one to one, and it's not really meant to be. Uh, it's the, the earthly reality of these natural relationships serves to give us an understanding of how we ought to treat those to whom we are bonded in a spiritual way. But they are different relationships. In some ways, they are deeper. This is where <laughs> it gets into the whole thing about the Nigerian woman versus the uh, your neighbor who's conservative, which we talked about a few weeks ago. In some ways, they're deeper. In some ways, they're not. In some, so we share some in common. We share some things that aren't. Aren't they're they're on a different level. And I think there's a t- temptation to look at. Well, you know, I, I missed out on marriage and family because I'm same sex attracted, and couldn't do those things. But look, let me kind of here's the consolation that I I can be uh, part of the family of of God. I think there is consolation there, but I don't think it's because I'm same-sex attracted. And if you listen to the way this whole question was set up, it was, how do you view family differently than the way I view family? And Sam Albury uh, says, well, basically, you know, I'm part of the spiritual family. That's not a difference. That's not, that's something that if you're heterosexual, have a family and have kids, you're also participating in that too. And I think Sam, Sam Albury would recognize that. But you're, you're also, and, and it, it can be just as deep. It's not like you're, it's, you have a deeper connection or a, a, a more strongly knit family because you have same-sex desires and are single as a result. You, you're part of that spiritual family when you have 10 kids and a wife too. And so it's, or a husband. So it's, um, 
that's where the, the tripwire is, is to start making these conflations. And it, it comes out, I think, a little bit more in the podcast later on. Uh, let me show you. It's told me if someone can't get married or be paired off, they're going to live a life without love. Yeah. And that's another gospel. Yeah. That's a different gospel. Your church stinks <laughs> if that's the case. Yeah. Again, Sam Albury having the fire for certain churches. This was a apparently a, a gentleman on Twitter who had told him basically you got to repent before coming to Jesus or something. He he got, he he had a problem with thinking you need to be sanctified before you can be justified. And Sam Albury's adamant your church stinks uh, because of that, and, and that would be true if if that in fact uh, that that was advocated. Um, but what he says about love here uh, is the interesting thing to me. Because the, the gospel shows us something very different. Yeah. Um, again, Jesus promises that that hundredfold <laughs> relational return. That, if I can put it this way, that's the real prosperity gospel. He's not yeah. promising us money or yeah. good living or a life without hardship. He is promising us relationship. Mm. Um, so if people are, if single people are lonely in our churches, it's not because there's something wrong with singleness, it's because there's something wrong with our churches. Good. Wow. So, so let me uh, interject with a question. So what would you say to a single person who would say, Sam, I, on one hand, I know everything you're saying is true. So, so if single people are lonely, the problem is the church? See, this is, this is what I was telling you earlier. He, what he was saying is so true, but then these conclusions are drawn. It there's like an assumption behind it, and it, it's what so much of what Sam Albury says is truth, but it's missing something. In this case, missing the healthy distinction of natural relationships are very good, and they should be pursued. And there is something sad when some. I I think I don't think there's here's. This is a little personal to me, just a little bit, but um, I don't even know how to say it. I know a little bit about what it's like to want to have children, and it hasn't happened yet. I'm very, I'm, I'm not, no martyr complex here. <laughs> it's very slight. I, I have a little bit of experience with it. I have relatives that I'm close to heterosexual okay they wanted to get married particularly an uncle who wanted to get married to a woman and it never happened and he's past the point really where it's probably going to happen it, life is just there's not many years left that was his life um for 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 much of it um i have uh single friends who uh are getting up into their um, 40s and and I, I mean I've known people I haven't been as close to them but 50s and 60s even where you know they really wanted marriage and they wanted family and it didn't happen and you know what I'm not going to give the consolation prize I think that's when you can weep with those who weep when they're having a hard time with it and there's nothing you can say that's well at least you have a spiritual family well you shouldn't be lonely, and if you're lonely, it's the problem, the church's fault, because you shouldn't be lonely. No, you know what? Actually, it's very natural to be lonely in that case. There is something that's missing. It doesn't mean that your life's worthless or Jesus doesn't love you or that there's not fulfillment. 
or that there's not a greater fulfillment to come, but it means that we live in a sin-cursed world, and this isn't the way I wanted it to be, but this is the way that it happened. Guess what? There's a lot of things in my life I didn't want it to be that way, and it's the way it happened. And I think you can say the same thing about your life, and that's the moment when you can you weep with those who weep, and you comfort them. I would encourage you strongly, don't get into this nonsense of trying to give a consolation prize out or to try to blame the church, blame shift it somehow, or that it's it's the result of people not catering to my specific condition because I'm same-sex attracted or otherwise. You can recognize it for what it is. You know what? That's really sad. I'm so sorry that you wanted to be married and you haven't gotten married and you're, you're struggling with loneliness. You know, I can be your friend. I can help. I can't substitute though for what you're missing because that's a unique relationship that God's ordained and the church can't substitute and fill that. Um, that's, that's something that it's missing and it's okay not to be okay with that. Jesus was single. He never got married. He never had kids. Whole life he lived on this world. He never did. And tempted in all points yet without sin. So I have to believe there was uh, some some uh, temptation there at some point that uh, he was a man. And there's natural desires God's given men for women. But that I don't... Jesus had a mission to seek and save the lost. He came for a purpose. And you don't, I don't find this teaching in Scripture from Jesus or anyone else, but I don't see Jesus saying, I, this is a, a part of my suffering as I am single, and, um, but at least I have you disciples, or at least I have these friends, or the... Jesus was here on a rescue mission. And, and, and that's for, for even single people. I, I encourage you to think about what's your mission where right here, right now where you are. What's the thing God has you there for? What can you do with the resources he's given you to love God and love others? What can you do? And maybe there are some things you can do that you're uniquely equipped to do because you're single. You have more flexibility or whatever. But it doesn't take away from the fact that that's not the natural course that God wants people generally to take. That's not, he wanted people to, to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth. Hus, husband leaves father and mother, cleaves to his wife. The two become one flesh. It's a mystery of Christ in the church. This is, this is an ordained institution by God. And I think there's a dis, diminishment of that when you act like the church can just substitute or something. It's a conflation of loves. There's different kinds of loves. And to have a love unfulfilled is a sad thing, a a kind of love. There's no eros in the church. There's phileo. There's other things. You're not going to find eros. You shouldn't find eros. (laughs) You better not be finding it. So this is honestly setting people up, I think, for more failure. But I just struggle with feeling like somehow I'm on plan B, team B. Help me. There, there are lots of things to say. One, one of the things I, I might say is marriage is no guarantee against having that feeling. I know many married people who feel as though this isn't the marriage I signed up for or daydreamed about. Yeah. Um, this feels like 
marriage plan B or C or X, <laughs> you know. It, we live we live in a world where we don't get plan A and our marital status is not going to be the key determiner of that it, it's 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 the inbreaking of the new age that's going to be the determiner of that I'm kind of I'm kind of ticked at what he's saying to be honest with you he's right that there's no perfect marriage out there and every marriage probably I would say I mean it's probably universal every marriage is going to have disappointments in it uh, the honeymoon period is not perpetual um maybe for some couples <laughs> maybe for some couples it is but here here's here's the thing though just because marriages don't necessarily meet the fairy tale expectation that hallmark gives that doesn't mean there isn't something to marriage that is fulfilling that god has given and is significant don't make it insignificant don't make it out don't make out like marriage is just because you don't get 100% fulfillment there, well, I guess, you know, it, it's just as good to be single or something. Or No. Um, there's a gift of singleness. There's times for being single. There's uniquely, things you can be uniquely equipped for in singleness. But mar marriage is a blessing, and there is fulfillment in it. And sexual fulfillment is one of those things. There's other things, but sexual fulfillment is certainly one of those things. And um, even Paul says that if you burn, get married. You know, uh, enjoy the wife of your youth. Let her breast satisfy you. She's your reward for all your labor. How does Sam Albury get around these things? So that's uh, all. Those are all the portions of this podcast I wanted to show you. It's a long podcast. It's like two hours, but there's a lot I think that we can draw from this. I'm hoping this helped you all out in navigating. This is just one podcast. I haven't listened to everything Sam Albury's put out there, but uh, this is, I think, a fairly representative interview of the kinds of things you can expect to hear if you go to a Sam Albury lecture or hear him on another podcast. And I have listened to some other podcasts and things over time. And I would say overall, not helpful. There are some things he says that are true, but there's a, much that is missing. Marriage needs to be elevated, okay? Marriage should also be pursued. It should be a goal for the vast majority of people. It's going to be. Um, there ought not be an approach to homosexual desires that seeks to simply um, receive someone that has them in a gentle fashion without a plan to confront and root those things out. And there should be an expectation that God is going to deliver. And I don't put a I don't say it's 10 years, 20 years, 30 or or you know after you're dead. I don't do any I don't put a time on it. I just know that God promises to deliver from sin. Uh, he he's going to complete the work he he started in you. So if he's faithful, then you can hang your hat on it. It's not helpful to live in defeat or to, I mean, that this is the, the podcast, honestly, it's depressing. If you listen to it, you're going to get, I, I got this sense. It, this is a depressing podcast. And the jokes that are told in, in the middle, they're, they're, it's just, there's an awkward feel to it. That's my opinion. It, it's disjointed. It, this is not, this is not the kind of, Thing that's healthy for Christians, I think, to imbibe too much in. 
the reason people do listen to this kind of thing and heed this teaching, I believe, is because they're looking for something that, as Salma already said, isn't the cranky conservative option. And this is the alternative to that. But you can be a cranky conservative about the normalization of homosexuality and other sexual deviancies on a social level and still be a gentle person to those who are struggling with those things and want to repent. You, those things aren't mutually exclusive. Guess what? Jesus could do that. He could speak against adultery very forcefully, and then he could be kind to an adulteress. But he, he, he said, go and sin no more. So there's that. All right. Well, God bless. Hope that was helpful. Mega edition here, but, um, but an important one. I wanted to say uh, in closing that uh, if you're looking for ministries to donate to, I wanted to just let you know one more time about equipping the persecuted. You go to, um, I believe it's equippingthepersecuted.com. Let me just check because I want to make sure I got that right. It's .org. <laughs> I'm glad I checked. Equippingthepersecuted.org. And uh, it is a website that will give you more information about how um, there are Christians helping those in Nigeria who are in the face of some real persecution. I mean, the suffering that Sam Albury is talking about in his situation is nothing compared to what some of our brothers and sisters are going through in other countries with terrorism. And, and I mean, they don't have time to entertain some of these uh, <laughs> these discussions we're having in the United States because it's survival. And equipping the persecuted just helps brothers and sisters out. So equippingthepersecuted.org. Um, just want to let you know about that. Hey, God bless. And more coming back. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.